In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. This is the Lantern Cast, episode three eighty nine. That's right. Is that, that uh, is right, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're doing something yes. we haven't done in a while, guys. We're actually, you know, recording two episodes pretty close to each other to help sort of get some stuff into the can. Um, uh, so it's hard to keep track. But um, we are actually going to be talking about uh, four different premium format issues, right? Yes, we are completing the Tales from the Dark Multiverse one-shots. We obviously covered the Sinestro one, the Sinestro slash Blackest Night one because it was, hello, more Green Lantern related, and it came out pretty early. So not as early as some of the other ones we're actually covering, but it came out early, and we I know we doubled that up, so we did two, you know, we did the, we did the, the Year of the Villain, right? Didn't we do the Year of the Villain one-shot, too, in that, in that issue? Uh, in that, in that yes. episode, we did yes. So we made it a kind of a a Sinestro esque uh, one one off episode by using doing those two books. But we had always planned on coming back and doing the rest of the Dark Multiverse. And now and now that all all four of those are out and the other four, we figured now would be the time to uh, delve into them. Yeah, sure, for sure. And it's four premium format issues, guys. So we don't have a whole lot before this, but. I did want to make th- make make mention of three things, and they're not necessarily things we need to fully discuss unless we want to. Uh, but just for time time's sake, so that you know when this episode comes out, you'll at least know as as soon as you can. The first thing, uh, there will be another Green Lantern pop Funko Pop coming out very soon. I say this as a big deal because we we actually haven't got very many Green Lantern pops at all in the past. I want to say two or three years. The closest we got is uh, the 2019 Summer Convention uh, Big Bang Theory Leonard Hofstetter, who was you know, dressed as Green Lantern. Uh, that's about as close as you've gotten uh, thus far. And then I, the year before that, we had the White Lantern Kyle Rayner uh, things. But other than that, not a lot of Lantern pops. So we know the Alan Scott pop is coming. There's also going to be a Green Lantern coming. Now, the image people are using is the cover to the Grant Morrison uh, um, issue number one. Now, does that mean it's going to be based off Liam Sharp's design in the Grant Morrison run? I don't know. It could be people just type some gr- the word Green Lantern into Google. It's a relevant image based on the current series, and that's what they're using to announce visually, hey, there's going to be a Green Lantern pop. We don't. We haven't seen the pop. We haven't seen the concept art for it. We haven't seen anything other than... There will be an Emerald City Comic Con exclusive uh, Green Lantern pop. 
and I'm going to Emerald City Comic Con. <laughs> so it's all it's all coming up, Chad. Uh, so there's that. That's coming out. Speaking of figures, these just hit uh, the last week or so. The DC Collectibles line, they put out a Hal Jordan figure and a Sinestro figure. They don't have any accessories or anything from what I've seen. So if you're looking for a f- cool figure, those are out there now. This is also, for those of you who've seen it, this is the same wave that included the Nightfall Catwoman and the Nightfall Batman figures. Um, I've seen videos of both of, uh, of all of the figures. Uh, obviously, I was only watching to see what the Green Lantern one looks like. It looks like Hal. It, it's a fine figure. But the Sinestro one, I think, looks really cool. I'm actually going to make a point to get that one myself. Um, so if you can take a look at that one. Uh, and the third thing I was going to mention, I have already forgotten. <laughs> so I guess, I guess if I remember it by the episode, the end of the episode, I'll throw it out there. But, uh, yeah, there, there were, there were three like sort of, you know, this is hitting, uh, this news is hitting pretty soon things I wanted to mention, but I've already forgot the third one. <laughs> Chad, Chad pulled, uh, Mel Brooks from like the History of the World Part One. These fifteen smash oh. ten ten commandments. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, and, and this is the one that maybe we can discuss. I I don't know. Yes, there was something Green Lantern that happened in the finale for Arrow. Oh God, yes. Um, if we want to talk about it now, we can. I don't know if you've seen it or not, uh, or if you've it, maybe just seen images or. I, I, I didn't. I don't think I listened to it, but I think I saw the clip. A little friggin' late, wasn't it? And <laughs> I know yeah. they're, gonna, they're probably gonna carry that over to right, supposedly into another CW show on some level. But how much confidence do you really have? It's gonna be. It's gonna be anything, considering they obviously shied away purposely from using Green Lantern throughout the entire run of Green Arrow and so far The Flash because they have no confidence in their ability to probably to do the special effects. So, we'll just say it, and if you if you, if you you haven't watched the finale for, uh, for Arrow, I don't know, fast forward five minutes or whatever. Um, it, it won't be five minutes, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. In the episode, uh, you know, as a result of Crisis, when... Oliver restarted the universe and restarted the multiverse. He fixed several things. He brought some people back to life and he sort of fixed continuity like Moira, his mother. She's back. Uh, his sister, um, his sister is back. Not, not Thea, his half sister. Uh, I forget her name. Um, what the hell is her name? Uh, she, uh, Emiko, Emiko. She's back. Uh, uh, Tommy's back. Uh, Captain Detective Lance is back. Like these sorts of things have happened. He's sort of perfected the universe now. Uh, and Star City, ever since the crisis, is now essentially crime free. Um, as a result, the people left behind, you know, particularly John Diggle, feel like there's nothing left for them to do there, specifically there. Uh, and by the way, one of the things that happened, uh, remember in Flashpoint, one of the things after Flashpoint we learned was that um that John Diggle now and 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 Lila now had a son rather than a, the baby Sarah. Well, now they have both. Uh uh their 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 little boy and baby Sarah. Uh so um Lila and their two kids and John are going to move to Metropolis. Um because now 
in the in all of this uh crisis did cause a merging of some multiverses uh, the black lightning black black lightning's world and supergirl's world as well as the flash arrow world are all merged together onto one earth so metropolis and, and all of that is all on this earth uh along with central city and everything so diggle's going to move with his family over to metropolis well, Lila gets the kids in the car. They drive off while he's finishing up packing up the rest of the house, I guess. At night, he's about to, you know, he's taking one last look around. He sees a fireball come out of the sky. It crashes in front of him, blows him back up against the van uh, in such a forceful way. I would just assume no matter how big and strong you are, and, and the dude who plays John Diggle is jacked. <laughs> I would assume it, if you get you thrown back against a, a car that hard, I would assume it'd knock you out, but he just gets up. Goes into the crater to check it out, picks up a box, a sort of, almost looks like a rock, but obviously like has a slit in the middle for you to open it up like a box. Uh, and there is a green glow. We don't see a ring, uh, shoot out or whatever, but obviously given every, what everybody has wanted John Diggle to be and the fact that John, John Diggle's stepfather is, uh, general or major John Stewart, um, Everybody has wanted him to become Green Lantern. So that's what that's what this essentially is. We don't get a you have overcome great fear. We don't get a dying alien. We don't get a ring floating up. We don't see the symbol. It's just a box in a crater that he opens up and there's a green glow. Uh, and that's it. So. Yep. I have said this on Twitter because some people have been complaining about this, and I agree with them. There are other ways to do this. Crisis just happened. Budget-wise, that takes a lot of money. Not only for special effects, but you also have to consider the hang of the crew, because the crew works quite a lot, uh, and you have to consider the costume design for any new characters, you have to consider any overtime to get this done. You have to consider the budget and uh, for advertising. Because uh, when you're doing something as big as Crisis, their advertising wasn't just, hey, look, this year's new crossover. This, 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 this advertising, you have to admit, went pretty wide. Um, and you have to pay all of the people, all the actors to be on screen. They get paid for being on the, on the screen. The same sort of thing happened in this finale. With Moira back, with uh, Emiko back, with Tommy back, with you know, uh, with Detective Lance back, plus all the other people like Sarah and uh, the the recruits and uh, the uh, Oliver's daughter uh, from the future, like all these people were on screen for the finale uh, of of the season. So you have a lot of actors to pay to be on screen. Um, so I understand somewhat that they were probably limited in what they could actually do. That being said, I'm wondering if it wasn't necessarily too hard to have a ring on a fishing line and raise it up and float it in the air and kind of play with that in After Effects or make a CGI ring or whatever and throw in a little bit of voiceover work that says something a little more substantial than just a green glow coming from a box. Plus the fact that it's coming from a box in the first place is sort of weird. At the same time, though, that maybe plays into their budget. It's not like they could throw in a whole alien, pay that actor, design all that, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, 
that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I, my point being, I see some people's complaints and problems with it. Uh, and I, but at the same time, on the other side of the coin, I don't see what much there is to discuss about what the potential is for the future, unless you want to take the rumors that the HBO Max series is tied into the Arrowverse. Which probably would not be the best way to go, I don't think, uh, for them to do that. Uh, if they were going to do that, then then why couldn't they bar? That's like why couldn't they bar from the HP, from the Green Lantern Max show? Bar here, here here's here's like thir- here's thirty five grand. Make, make give us something more than a glow from an LED light. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I think it's. My God, they could have just they could have just cannibalized well, unless though then they would have been boxed into that design. But it said they could have just cannibalized the Ryan Reynolds ring from the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know. I think it it's a talk about talk about anticlimactic. It's like yeah, we'll introduce it now. Where you know now that it is no longer matters and based on the main when it could have mattered so much more, like having a Green Lantern in in, in Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't know. It se- it kind of seemed it kind of seemed lame, even though I guess they I, maybe they hinted at that when they showed the little all the multiverse all the different multiverses existing, including the Ryan Reynolds verse. <laughs> <laughs> who know who I don't know. Most people were not impressed with Crisis on Infinite Earths, but I still have to I still have to go back and rewatch the not the Green Arrow thing, but the final actual part of infin- of that storyline because I know I fell asleep on it I fell asleep mm-hmm. halfway through before the before the anti-monitor showed back up again in the final part I I, I, I dozed off uh, so I'll have to go back and rewatch it on on my fire stick but I was not overly overly impressed with with uh, most of what they did it doesn't yeah, seem like I, I, many I th- people were yeah I, I actually enjoyed quite a bit of it uh, and again because of how since I've been listening to uh, Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert and uh, Michael Rosenbaum's Inside of You podcast, just because they're actors and they talk to other actors, I've just been hearing more and more about the behind the scenes. Like, for instance, Stephen Amell, it was actually in the news recently, Stephen Amell was on uh, was on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast, Inside of You, uh, and uh, he had like a, a panic attack halfway through, so he had to come back and finish his interview like a week or two later. Um, so he was talking about, you know, getting burnt out and all this stuff and, 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 and sort of his, his experience on the show. And not that everything, uh, about doing that show was negative. Cause obviously it was a, it was a, a big experience for him. Uh, felt like a family, you know, that sort of thing, but just the, 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 the grueling aspects of the job itself and the logistics of how filming a show like that works. I hear so much about what happens on the background on the set of these types of shows now that like I almost have a little bit maybe more empathy or maybe more understanding or just give these shows a little bit more more leeway than I used to because you know if you don't have that understanding of of how it all goes behind the scenes and what they are limited into what they're able to do what they're able to pay to be able to do and that sort of a thing then you know you can go okay well maybe that 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 was a financial decision as opposed to, oh, they just were shitty. The, the writers had a shitty thought right there sort of a thing. But, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that they can get away with everything under the sun and be like, oh, if it sucks, then, you know, 
then it was just because they didn't have enough money or whatever. That that's that that's not to give them an out for everything that uh, you could criticize. But uh, yeah, ever since I've been listening to those shows, it's just uh, I've been a little more le- le- been given a little more leeway for some of the things I don't like on on things like Crisis. I can, I can see that. I'm I don't know. Well. When you take on something like Crisis on Infinite Earths, which you know pretty much is inarguably the biggest you know DC crossover that's ever been, uh, that it's you're setting you're almost setting yourself up for failure <laughs> or setting yourself up for a lot of criticism. Uh, they tried. I know we understand. You know they're limited in what they can do. Uh, I don't know if it instills a whole lot of confidence in more confidence in people about Berlanti's ability to pull off the Green Lantern thing, though of course clearly he's gonna clearly he's going to have a decent budget, but then again, he was involved in the movie and the movie had a decent budget too. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Uh it would have been nice if this if this had, you know, absolutely hit it out of the park where it would give you a lot more confidence going into the Green Lan- the Green Lantern show, even though we don't, we still know so little about it. It's kind of hard to. We're not going to make even a prejudgment on it until we have at least an idea of which characters they're focusing in on and who's casting it. But yeah. yep. All right. Uh, yeah, I I didn't want to because we since we have the the four premium format sort of our prestige format sized issues to get through. I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but because those are relatively time sensitive bits of information. Uh, I just wanted to get those out there as soon as we could, and then uh, now we can get to the issues. Yeah. All right, what are we starting with? Pardon the yawn. It's been a long day for both of us. Uh, We are starting with The Death of Superman. Uh, So this is written by Jeff Jeff Loveness, Brad Walker Pencils, Drew Hennessy, and Norm Rapmund, excuse me, to the inks. John Calise colors, Clayton Cowles letters, Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson did the cover. One thing I did like about this, at least as an overall comment when it comes to the art, it did remind me of Dan Jurgens. Not all, to, not all the time, but there were some cool like, but like that do, that Superman fighting Doomsday panel right in you know, the first splash page. That he, and even some of the stuff like at the funeral for for Superman, I do. Th- it did remind me at least a little bit of the Jurgens art style, which of course is appropriate if we're talking about the the death of Superman. So, like all of these issues, and even the we, even the uh, Blackest Night one, uh, we deal with our boy Tempest Fugin out there. Should we call him Temp or Fugi? <laughs> Fugi! Uh, Tempest Fuginat is the guardian against the dark multiverse. Uh, that in- he kind of gives the same spiel in almost every issue. He alternates, he alternates, and there's a little bit of an alternative approach to it. But basically, you know, because he's supposed to protect against the dark, but it, and you know, he he, you know, he's a champion of the light and everything else. But he always, but he can't help because he's a. I was gonna say because he's human, but he's not. But you know, he's alive. He's a sentient being, so you kind of can't help but being drawn out of curiosity towards the dark when it when when it's. Right in front of your face. Would you say he like stands on like the he, sta- he stands on like the froth of the ocean between the the positive uh, multiverse and the and the dark multiverse? Like 
he he stands on that border, looking up at the at at the the multiverse that is, and looking down at the dark multiverse. Yes, I think. I mean, it's almost it's almost like if there was a source wall between the two here. Yeah. That it's almost like he's standing on the, without fusing to it. He he would be like he would be like hovering maybe hovering above the source wall where he where he can where you can peer over on both sides of it, and the goal is basically to prevent part A from crossing over and touching part B. Uh, especially with Part B being the Dark Multiverse. Oh, well, now, so, now the source wall is no more, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that... We won't go into that right now. <laughs> let's just let's just flush more things down the toilet. Yeah, whenever we get to Justice League, folks, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, which we will at some point, because I... Spe- especially since I'm, I'm going out of my way to try to collect, which, of course, it comes out, like, in a week or so, I think, uh... Or is it next, next week? I think next week, the first part of the Eradicator storyline comes out so I have to make sure that gets pulled because oftentimes uh I have to I have to make sure those issues get pulled because it's easy for them to slip through at my computer at my comic shop so this obviously the topic of this particular uh dark multiverse tale that uh Tempest Fugonaut is is looking at is an alternate version of the death of Superman so of course we get these everything that happened in our in our and there's always that point of divergence uh, like it's like a what if comic on that level it's where certain things always play out the same but then you have that critical moment where things change uh, so Superman of course dies you know there's the funeral and everything but what part of part of the difference is how Lois deals with this Lois Lois is a lot less what shall we say magnanimous about everybody else all the other heroes roles and 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 lack thereof in what happened with Superman she essentially blames them for not for failing him and you know when he needed when basically he needed everybody to be there and to stand by his side at the end of the day he was all by himself that he was that there was nobody left to take on doomsday but him which if you go back and you remember the death of superman storyline that is pretty much true because the justice league was a bunch of ham and eggers at, at that time it really was like the c team of uh of justice of justice league members at that point and we know hal wasn't there because hal didn't show up until coast it's you know, till towards the end of Reign of the Superman and and everything else. So it was so low. You know, Lois blames all of them, and she harbors a lot of this ne- you know this negative will about this. And she also comments about you know when they're all attending Superman's funeral, it's like a in a way they're kind of like, which might be somewhat topical based on what's going on nowadays. Well, not nowadays, but in the wake of Kobe Bryant's death, there might be a lesson to be learned from this too. That about the idea that. Uh, Everybody loves to be seen. That it's not that they're all you know they're all putting on the proper face here at the funeral and doing on the surface what you would expect them to do. But she's questioning their motives, whether everybody's doing it because they really feel what they should feel, or they're doing it because it's the proper thing to do. And you know she and they you know they they unveil the statue and everything else, and and they have the red-haired Lex Luthor, which I never was a fan of, but that was the Lex Luthor of this time frame. We get, you know, we flash, you know, we flash forward for weeks, and we get all this stuff. We get an update of all, you know, little news headlines of everything, and she's just like becoming further and further removed from basically the any connection with the real world other than uh, Martha Kent. Uh, Martha, and of course, uh, at this at this point, uh, you know, John, Jonathan's heart gave out, you know, and he's not dead yet, but he's on he's on the fringe because of which which is actually. Plays ties back into what happened during uh, the the death of Superman 2, Actually, 
So it's just Martha. It's just Lois, and Lois is just, you know, she just feels really, really lost, and she feels compelled to go to Superman's other home, of course, which is the Fortress of Solitude. And she goes there, and, you know, and with, but, uh, that's the cape, right? She yeah. says she gave back the blanket, but of course it's the cape because it was made from the blanket. Yeah. And she's she's there and she, and she's mourning. And while she's there, all of a sudden we hear we see in in uh and kind of hear like a crackle of energy, and with, with a no, and then a, and a glowing red figure comes out. It's like no, I'm too late. And we find out that you know this is in this is the Eradicator, and in this universe, the, supposedly. The Eradicator basically, you know, took Kal-El's body from the tomb, but he was, and he put it in the the regeneration matrix, but he did it too late. And Superman is, as far as the Eradicator is concerned, he is complete, he is absolutely truly dead. And he points out that, you know, he's truly gone. I have failed him. Lois points out, you know, we both have failed him. And you know, the Kryptonian life matrix, you know, burns the Eradicator, and it's like, you know, he's. The power, you know, he can't really contain this power for much longer. But yet, you know, he keeps saying there must be a Krypton, there must be a Krypton. And Lois says, basically, give me the power. And he says, well, you know, I don't, not in these, not in as conversationally as I'm saying it, but he's pretty much saying that, you know, I don't think you can do this. There's, you know, your body can't handle this. There's, you know, and she says she doesn't care about the risks. It's just, it's just like, you know, I loved him. Please, it's like. You know, and she, the Eradicator realizes that she basically wants to carry on his battle, the never-ending battle, even though they don't use that, that full phrase. And she goes, "No, I'm going to end it." And the Eradicator says, "Very well," and he infuses his power into Lois. So Lois basically, I kind of like the dripping blood symbol on her chest, which of course is, you know, obviously it, it, it more than mirrors, you know, these deaths that Superman symbol, you know, the S shields death of Superman symbol that was used to promote all this. So she, you know, she glows red. It's like she has like, you know, like blood tears and everything. It looks like almost coming out of her, coming out of her face. And now she basically tries to. She wants to make the world a better place from from her her perspective. And she, of course, you know, she ends war. She frees prisoners. You know, she kind of makes an, another like social commentary that you know, Superman stopped bank robbers, but she stops the bank. So she's kind of looking at it again, diff, different perspective and everything. And she's being, you know. Very, he's being very Eradicator-esque, which is part of what I like about this. She's really not she, – she's not playing by Superman's rules at all. She's just – you know, she's just – whenever she sees an injustice from her perspective, she just completely takes takes it out. She confronts Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor kind of makes – kind of makes a mistake of taunting her. Uh, and, of course, she just grabs him by the throat, flies him up into the atmosphere until he basically just completely dissolves, sets on fire and dissolves. She, you know, she finds, you know, she finds the Joker, and she just kills, and she kills the Joker. And super, excuse me, Batman confronts her like, "What, what have you done?" And you know, they have this, they have this big moment about basically talking about, you know, the, the difference in worldviews and how it's always been, it's always been the same, you know, for for years with you people. People are dying, and it's just a game, and you can't even see how pathetic it is. You're a failure. And she, you know, she she rips into Batman. And you know, Bat, you know, Batman tries tries to deal with her, tries to t- you know take her out, but of course, uh, at the end of the day, she is she is powered like super, Superman, so she pretty much takes you know kills Batman. 
at this point, we get this is where the you know the reign of the Superman kind of come into the story, uh, not the way we know them, but they do enter this. But because of you know because of her infusion of power, the cyborg cyborg Superman kind of makes it clear that she, he originally planned to do the same, tried to pass himself off on like as as Superman like he did in the real story, but there was really no point because she, you know because she's too smart for all the, all that. And super and they they engage in combat. Uh, the uh, Superboy and Steel show up, and of course he's like really merciless with Superboy and Steel. He like he really starts going to town on them. Uh, Lois has the Eradicator and Cyborg Superman basically get into this death match, and who show and uh, out of there you know in that like most hopeless moments you know she hears a voice and we have you know superman showing up with his long hair and his black suit uh exactly what happened in the reign of, in the in the reign of superman towards the end and you know he's very weak and you know superman's trying to process everything that's going on and it's like how did you do this and and superman's like i don't know the eradicator put me in the life matrix it took longer than expected but i'm back and while they're having this conversation uh, Cyborg Superman picks up, I think, the, the uh, Kryptonite cannon, and uh, I, I do like his line. It's like, uh, "Wow, I honestly don't believe that." How many people get to die twice? <laughs> and he blasts Superman with, you know, with with the with the cannon. Superman looks up at Lois one last time before he dies for good, and he has this look of horror in his eyes based on what Lois, you know, what Lois has become. Uh, so at this point, you know. You know, Lois Lane is just basically she's just she's just the she is just the eradicator. She's the dark avenging angel, angel, excuse me, of the multiverse, and she fights for truth. Yet knows she is lost beyond salvation. And that's essentially the uh, Superman story. I really liked it. Um, so uh, I, first of all, I like the story. I like the layouts. I like the art. Brad Walker, for those of you who don't remember. Uh, did the art chores on the latter half of the New Guardian series, as That's well as the thought, latter, yeah. as well as the latter half of the Sinestro series. That's uh, true. That's right. He did take over in the Sinestro series. So uh, I really like the art in this. Uh, I, I obviously bought a copy of the um, Blackest Night uh, Dark Multiverse thing because you know it's Green Lantern related and that in my collection. Uh, I'm actually uh, uh, of the other Dark Multiverse ones. I'm gonna go pick this up, like a hard copy to have in my collection, because I like it. I do like the story. I do like the art. I do like, uh, you know, having a premium format thing. Uh, I, those always feel cool in your hands, just in general. Um, there's only one thing I would say about this negative, and that is, we have gotten a whole lot of the what if Superman finally decided to take control sort of stories in the past, uh, whether they're multiverse stories, uh, Elseworld stories, uh, dream sequences, because that's a story, you know, that happens. Why does it, if Superman's so powerful, why is it, why doesn't he just assume control? And then the argument is because then, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Uh, essentially, now, this is obviously a bit different. This is Lois, but it's sort of the same thing. It go, it goes the same way as it would if it were Superman uh, doing this, this sort of a thing. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 so I see that, and, and that's, it's, it's, so it's a predictable story uh, in, in that regard. I think the only cool element added to just it plot-wise is the fact that 
it's the eradicator. So you can sit there and think to yourself, and this is where I'll let you take over since you're such a fan of this, this side of the, that universe. Um, you can sit there and play once the eradicator takes, takes her over. Okay. Well then how kind of like the whole parallax thing, how much of this is Lois's fault and how much is of this is the eradicator, you know? Yeah. I, I think the, I think the simple, I mean, there probably is some influence of the eradicator on her, but I, I or in her, I would say on her influence on, I would say that this is not like, a, this is not like an, like what, Parallax, you know, the, the retcon of Parallax, where it's like almost like it's the entity taking her over. I think the reality is they both. We know, we know what we know what. Depending which version of the Eradicator you get, whether it's the good Eradicator, and I'm not even talking about the you know post reign of the Superman Eradicator when it, when it was completely different. Uh, but I'm talking about whenever it's been, you know, the Kryptonian Eradicator, even during the reign of the Superman. That before he real before he really remembered he was you know that's what he was when he just thought he was you know basically Superman the last son of Krypton that there is a certain guiding principle behind there is a certain bottom lineness to the way he deals with things and which is which is one of the I mean I really liked as I'm looking at that post that mini poster from that first issue of uh, he was in action right action was the Eradicator book I believe. During the reign of the Superman, um, uh, I don't remember. I don't. I don't. Yeah, have... I'm, I'm just gonna ramble for a second. Yeah, I think ac- action was action was the Eradicator, Superman was Cyborg Superman, The Adventures of Superman was Superboy, and Man of Steel logically was Steel's book. Uh, as I'm looking at that at the poster now of the of the, the Eradicator as the last you know as the last son of Krypton, there, there there was a bottom lineness to what he did, a coldness to what he did, uh, and I think. I think it's more an example of they were on the same page in this, that this is what Lois had drifted towards that, and she basically, he, he all, basically it was like a gift because he needed to do something with the power, he was, because it was the closest thing to keeping Krypton's legacy alive, and she wanted to right the wrongs, and basically, again, from like you mentioned, the idea of, like we talked about with, with, with Batman too, at, at different points, the idea of like, there comes to the, there's, you reach the point where it's like, well, okay, if you, by, you, you don't want to kill, which is great, but how many, how many people, how many hundreds of people end up dying at least because you keep not killing the Joker and he keeps getting out and killing other people and doing this and doing that. When if you just killed the Joker, look at all the different, all the number of lives you would save and you, and the threat would be over and you wouldn't have to keep dealing with this over and over again. That she kind of has that, that, like that parallax view, no pun intended. The idea that you know it's like you just you, you view things from a different direction than you did before. So I think it was a perfect merger. That to me that's a, to me that's the thing that makes this story work. If Lois had not basically, if the Eradicator had not merged and given his power to Lois, the idea of Lois being no, you know this being a Lois Lane story probably wouldn't have had any appeal to me. Mm-hmm. I would have been more interested in maybe a reign. Seeing how, seeing the reign of the Superman play out just without Superman coming back, but Superman being dead and basically it all being da- it all coming down to the you know the the Eradicator, Steel, and and Superboy, and and or dealing in a in a in a world after after that also how the world would have been if they were the three that continued on the legacy. Uh, so I I thought I thought this story was I enjoyed it greatly. 
because it because it was the Eradicator. Since I ha I really really enjoy the Eradicator as a character, so this was my of the four we're gonna do tonight. Yeah, this is my this is this is also my favorite. So let me ask you a question because and, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong if I'm because I'm probably remembering wrong. Uh, and 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 maybe try to do it without going too far into the other issue uh, before covering it. But if I remember right, weren't you saying at one point that you liked night the Nightfall issue better than than the Superman one? And if so, was that because of just the Nightfall issue did something for you better, or was it because that there is something in the Death of Superman that did something wrong? If you're looking at if you're looking at a more unique story across the board, I mean the Batman story is more unique. Okay. I think the but well, when we get to that one in a couple of issues, after Chad's first issue, uh, I'll be doing that one. I think that story and that alt, that alternate universe, that what if there's so many different curveballs they throw you in that. I think as a story, as a standalone story, that is much more unique with a lot more twists in it. It's it's really close for me between these two, and I may very well have said I like the Batman one better, and it may be and it may be true. I may have I'm of course I don't remember when we talked about this. I don't know if if I did say it after I read them, then it maybe it's just maybe as a combination of the art and just the the Eradicator ties winning me over at the end. I was more interested probably in the super the death of Superman one before I read them. Gotcha. I, I'm not, so I'm not saying that's what I said to you. I may very well. I mean, it's been it's been since these issues came out. It's been almost like two months. Some of these. Uh, so I may very well have said that after initial reading that I did like the uh, the, the Nightfall one better. It's close, but the, I like both of these stories. So based on the way they were, the real storylines. So I think I, I, which makes you wonder why they didn't do like an either an Emerald Twilight or a Zero Hour. Zero hour slash Emerald Twilight combo since they obviously were made doing the beats of these Nightfall and and Death of Superman that was the other story that would f complete the trifecta at that time. Yeah. Uh, but but it was it's probably my ties to the Eradicator that that and and the idea that at the end of the day you know Lois being unrepenting even though seemingly she realizes she realizes that she's lost at the internally that she's lost at at the end but. There is, there is that certain commonality in like a lot of in a lot of these books that you have. In fact, many, maybe not so much the Sinestro, the Blackest Night one, but almost in all these four books, you have this. That's maybe part of the problem with them. They have all this commonality of this of one character being so un, omnipotent and just and just doing all and just losing touch so much with basically their humanity that it kind of becomes repetitious. Yeah, basically, I mean. It Outside of the Sinestro one uh, or the the Blackest Night one, which you could say has sort of that thing, all four of these that we're doing tonight have a sort of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely feel. Yeah, it, I'd say so. It's a, it's a little it's a little too, which is another reason why I don't really know why they did the Judas contract. Mm. Uh, I what. Well, when we get to it and we talk about it, it makes a little more sense because of where they, the tangent and the way they, where they went with it. Yeah. But it just seemed as, as important a storyline or a memorable storyline that is for a lot of people. It, that as far as world earth shaking events, as far as even in the in our, our own universe, let alone the multiverse, it seemed like an odd story to pick when there's so many other storylines they could have picked. But based on so especially the fact that they did it and then they make it so much like. You know, Superman, Batman, Infinite Crisis—that it just—it 
yeah, it kind of hit. It's it stuck the landing even less for me, probably because of that. Gotcha. All right, so we're moving on to Tales of the Dark Multiverse uh, one, Infinite Crisis. This is James Tinian uh, as the writer, Aaron Lepresti as the pencils, Matt Ryan as the inks, uh, Romulo Fajaro Jr. as the colors, Rob Lay as the letterers, Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson on the cover. Uh, I will say, just right off of the bat, and we'll get into it after the fact, I don't like this one. This is my least favorite of all of them. I do want to say, though, Aaron Lepresti's art looks, for the most part, pretty fantastic. And James Tinian has done some work in comics that is some of my favorite uh, if you're looking for something, look for the series, series, how do you say series plural, serieses, whatever. Um, uh, there's uh, Cognetic, Eugenic, and Mimetic, or Mimetic. Mimetic was just picked up to be uh, produced by Seth Rogen and some other folks. Uh, and, and and those those little stories are, are are fantastic. They're indie creations, and I'm pretty sure they're Boom Studios publications. I have both Cognetic and Mimetic, uh, the trade paperbacks. I can't find Eugenic anywhere. Um, but anyways, those all, those three are fantastic. James Tinian did some really cool and, and unique and interesting stuff with those. Uh, but this particular issue, not his best work. Uh, so essentially. Uh, we open up with Tempest Fuginot. Again, he stands on the border between the worlds. He sees his eye gets drawn to, you know, what could have been. We get, uh, it, and again, because I don't like this one very much, uh, and quite frankly, because it sort of meanders a bit, um, uh, I'm going to be sort of brief in my recap. Uh, it gives us sort of a recap of what Infinite Crisis was uh, and where things went wrong. Now, the where this this world divides, where it takes the turn is not in Infinite Crisis itself. We get the moment where Maxwell Lord kills Blue Beetle. And instead, uh, Blue Beetle pretends like he's going to join uh, uh, Maxwell Lord's team, grabs the gun, and then shoots Maxwell Lord in the head. Then takes control of Brother Eye. Uh, and he controls everything. Two weeks later, Booster goes rushing onto the Watchtower, and at the point the watch, this Watchtower is based on the moon. He runs into the meeting room where Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman are. You know, does the whole, "Hey, he's been missing. He's onto something. You guys are going to regret not listening to him." Bit. Uh, then uh, he's over at Cord. Uh, uh, T- Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, is over at Cord Industries. He's since he's become. Uh, the uh, the Black King in Checkmate and is in control of Brother Eye. He runs that whole organization. He has now uh, found and taken over and sort of assimilated into his crew the Secret Society of Supervillains, uh, which looks like uh, Deathstroke, uh, Black Adam, Lex Luthor. Um, oh, what's the the kid magician guy that always has the cat? Um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm- I, I can't remember, and then I can't remember the girl either. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, he also has his own Secret Six now. Batman sort of getting the rundown on this from uh, his second-in-command. We're also talking about... So we're, we're talking about all of these things that, that Ted Court has been doing behind the scenes without the Justice League's involvement or anybody any other hero's involvement. For instance, taking control of the... Um, of the is it the Black Crystal? Is that what we call it? Is the the Eclipso thing? 
Black Diamond. The Black Diamond, thank you. The, taking control of the Black Diamond, um, talking to um, uh, people in, in he like he went to the Oblivion Bar to figure out some stuff about magic, and then went into the Rock of Eternity to talk to the wizard about stopping how do you, how do you stop the the specter if he ever gets out of control. Uh, the Ranthanagar War, he used his Omax to basically draw the line between them and, and, and brokered uh, a peace and, and uh, or either, either yeah, he brokered an intergalactic peacekeeping deal before hostilities could get out of hand. And he's been taking control of all this. And Batman's like, you yeah, know, the, the lead needs to be involved in all this and all of that. He says, uh, with respect, Batman, this that's not going to happen. Look, there's a darkness, a paranoia inside of Brother One, Brother Eyes, programming that Max was able to exploit. That darkness came from you. Batman says, I didn't create a sentient system. Uh, if Brother One is involved, I suspect outside meddling is like, uh, that's, but that's my problem now. You need to stick to Gotham City. And Batman's like, well, you're going to need to answer for the death of Max Lord. He's like, really? That's what we're going to do right now? Maybe it's time Bruce Wayne answered for the large number of crimes you've committed in that cow. Or, or or you keep your distance and let me work, Bruce. The choice is yours. So he sort of gives him an ultimatum. Uh, then Booster comes in to talk to uh, Ted about how far he's gone. Um, they don't really come to an agreement. Uh, Booster doesn't really seem to agree with what's going on with him, so he flies away. Ted then um, goes and breaks into the Fortress of Solitude. Is it the Fortress? Because he's in the Arctic, or is it just the the base of the Secret Society? Because I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, that's, I think. Yeah, I think that's what. It, I don't think it's the Fortress. Okay, so it's the it's the base of the Secret Society. Lex is dead. Deathstroke is dead. Black Adam is ripped in half. Um, and so they come, out, and then all of a sudden, Lex Luthor shows up. Well, Lex Luthor was just dead. What the hell? Then a whoosh, and all of all of his uh, all of um, Blue Beetle's second in command and his various checkmate agents are on the floor murdered. And it's Superboy Prime, and this is obviously Alexander Luthor. Uh, so Alexander Luthor and Superboy Prime have teamed up. Uh, they ex- you know sort of explain the whole crisis, uh, infinite crisis stuff that we knew about the towers and, uh, you know, did the right earth survive and all of this. Um, it's a big talking head sort of book. Uh, then, uh, outcome, uh, Cal L K A L dash L just the letter L, uh, and Lois from earth one, uh, from the original crisis. Uh, and Alexander kills them right then and there. Superboy Prime doesn't really like that, so he, uh, you know, he, Alex turns on him, but Superboy Prime goes nuts and melts Alex, uh, and and you know, uh, you know, uh, Superboy Prime is weeping over Superman and Lois. Uh, Superboy Prime goes nuts like he he has before. Uh, so. With that threat, uh, Blue Beetle or Ted talks to Brother I and talks about you know sort of the greatest threat facing humanity uh, and is the and he comes back with an image of the Justice League. Uh, he says, uh, "You are too intelligent not to understand." Brother I says this: "You are too intelligent not to understand this. The costume heroes of Earth is still a greater chaos than any rival force. Uh, the more so-called heroes, the more existential threats." Why can't you believe? 
decrease the hero population by 50% and you decrease existential threats by 50%. The math is simple and absolute. The most peaceful Earths in the original multiverse featured no costume vigilantes. He says, then show me, damn it, just show me. Uh, And uh, then we talk about, uh, we we go catch up with Superboy Prime, who's looking down on uh, Connor Kent and talking about his wasted potential. Uh, Ted Cord says, I need you to take out a target for me, and then I need you to round up the teen heroes of Earth. I want this done humanely, but it must be done. Can you handle yourself? Um, so uh, then uh, Superman, uh, Wonder Woman, and Diana are meeting in the exploded JLA watchtower. This is the moment you know where John is gone and that whole thing. Then over in San Francisco, Connor gets thrown to the ground by Superboy Prime. Uh, he goes up against the Titans. Uh, over on the Watchtower, this is when Blue Beetle shows up. He is assimilated with the uh, with Brother Eye and has a bunch of nanotech on him, so he's, I don't know, uh, uh, Brother Beetle? <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, and takes on Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. After a bit of after a bit, he yeah, uh, Superman stands up. Even with your new power, you can't fight all of us. And he says, "Like I said, I'm recruiting." Nanotech starts going over uh, the, the the Trinity, and he's take and they're assimilated uh, into the Brother Eye. Obviously, Superboy Prime is losing it and basically killing all the Titans over there. So when uh, so uh, killing most of, uh, and then uh, when uh, Super. Uh, when Brother Beetle figures this out, uh, he assimilates Superboy Prime too. This is when Booster shows up to try to stop him. Brother I speaks to uh, Brother Beetle and says, The hero Booster Gold will never understand. He must be assimilated or eliminated. We are too close to victory to allow his interference. And, you know, uh, Ted's trying to fight this. And then the, uh, the I says, You are thinking illogically. Relinquish the emotional centers of your brain and I will show you. Uh, and he's talking about how stop crisis in his tracks, and that's when Booster pulls a gun on Ted and says, you're right, Ted, that's exactly what this is about, stopping a crisis in his tracks. Ted's like, Booster, what are you? And Booster says, I'm so sorry. And then uh, Brother Eye activates uh, Ted's defenses and shoots uh, uh, a, a laser blast, a big beam, straight through the center of Booster. Booster's dead. Uh, Ted loses it and then uh, in his anguish allows uh, Brother I to take full control and Omax lethal sanctions authorized in the battle it is time to take the planet it is time they understood I am in control and uh, they took they take over uh, the entire planet and uh, that is the end of that one yep this is one wordy SOB of a book. I was telling Mark earlier that I just allowed my, um, you know, I, I, you know I, I got tired. I started falling asleep through it. It doesn't mean it was necessarily boring. It's just there's so much to read through, so many word bubbles. And it, it's not like I'm, I don't like to read. I've got a bookcase I can take a picture of and show you guys. <laughs> I love novels and shit, but my God. Um so, you know, there's times like when you're reading a novel and maybe you're too tired or maybe your mind's somewhere else and all of a sudden you're down at the bottom of the page and you're like, oh, shit, I've been reading. But was I really comprehending what I was just reading and you got to skip back up to the top of the page? Oh, yes. That's what happened with this book. And no matter how hard I tried to focus on it, it kept happening. 
this this book has a lot of issues. Uh, Chad and I talked about this just a little bit as a almost in pregame. Uh, of all, I really like Infinite Crisis as a story. Uh, the built the obviously the countdown to Infinite Crisis, and not just the actual book counting down to it, but there was a lot of build up to it, including. But the actual miniseries itself, not always on time, thank you, Jeff Johns, but it was good. I really like Infinite Crisis. I think it was a really good story. Of all the different things that they could have done and related to Infinite Crisis to give us an alternate version, they have to, number one, give us something, like you mentioned in the review, they have to give us the point of divergence is something that didn't even happen during (laughs) Infinite Crisis. Uh, it it so I think that's a major that's a major issue here with all the stuff with Alexander Luther and and all the heroes and their little pocket universe and you know and like the remnants of the anti monitors you know, the tower built from his suit or whatever it was and his corpse and all this stuff and all the stuff they could have done that happened in an in, in infinite crisis and all the different takes they could have done on it they do something that doesn't even their point has to happen before and I hate to phrase it this way and they have to pick of all characters Blue Beetle to be the focal point uh, and I know I can't say there's a common thread because there's a common thread in two, like two of the stories we're doing tonight with taking like peon characters for the most part and making them much, and I hate to phrase put Ted Cord in that group but in the sliding scale of you know he's, he's like a he's like a B minus C plus tier tier hero in the big picture here uh, in my opinion but the reality is we see a couple of in two of the four issues we're talking about tonight we have like relatively minor characters in the ultimate big picture here and somehow they end up being so important in, or in, in dominating their entire you know world or universe I don't know I, I don't think the story was particularly interesting I'm not I've never been in all that interested in Brother I and the Omax and all that stuff I just doesn't do much for me. Uh, I the only I the only thing in it that I thought was moderately compelling was just the fact that Ted did not seem entire. I mean, we know again dealing with the absolute power corrupts absolutely trope that it seemed like he was relatively in control of thought for the longest time, and he had not completely given in even even when confronted with Superboy Prime and and Alexander Luther because you know because Brother I was whispering to him all then like give me the power put me in control put me in control and it's like no I can handle this on my own because the whole point was he want you know he wanted to talk he wanted to talk the situation down and he kind of got helped along by you know Alexander Luther, Luther you know flipping his lid too by by frying you know the surviving Superman and Lois Lane which didn't help his cause but he was able to convince Superboy Prime after all that to join him. So he was able to convince him to join his cause, which is when he reaches out to communicate with him and tells him to go deal with the Titans or whatever, that it's because that uh, Superboy Prime is already basically... Maybe because Superboy Prime is essentially... He's he's always... he He's like a rudderless ship by nature, and he needs somebody to steer for him. So that seemed to be the only person left basically there at the time who could provide guidance and a, and a focal point for him. But he, he did achieve some of that, and it wasn't until the very, very end when he completely realized that it was how far gone he was, and then there was nothing more he could do, or didn't even care anymore. 
it was okay. I, I also agree. This is my least favorite of all the one of all five stories of the dark multiverse. This is my least the, the the least my least favorite, the least memorable, and the one that even even going through it again now, it's one that you know it. I. <laughs> It was like, wow, yeah, I, I really didn't think much of this book. <laughs> the art was well done. I mean, it's just... I'd it's say just, so, yeah. You know, the story and how it was laid out is is the problem here. And again, that's that's why I started the whole recap off with what what the, uh, the, the, the art was good and that James Tinian has done some fantastic stuff in comics outside of this. This just wasn't his best showing, personally speaking. Uh, now, we don't know the situation with these Dark Multiverse tales, like, were they already told what the divergent point is and they just had to build a story around it? Or did they get to pick what the divergent point was? I, I would assume that they got to pick, but you never know. So maybe we should leave some possibility for that. But I don't really have much, of, much else to say about this one because, I mean, it was just so hard to just read through the whole thing and, and, and sort of absorb what I was reading uh, and, and retain that. So... Uh, I say on to Nightfall. Yes, I would say Nightfall was the first one, right? I think so. I think I think night I think I think Nightfall was the was the first one. Um, either that and Superman came out pretty pretty early on. Uh, so Batman Nightfall, I like the you know the cover of a very a variant Azrael Batman holding Batman up, you know over his over his one handed. Over his head in triumph. So this is by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins, Javier Fernandez, the artist, Alex Gomares as colors, Clayton Cowles letters, Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson did the cover. We do get the, we, I mean, we kind of get a slight variation on the beginning. I mean, we still obviously have Tempest Fuganot, but we deal directly showing us. I think that's why this is probably the, was the first one because basically you get the origin of the Batman who laughs. Mm-hmm. So I think this. So this probably was the first one, just kind of like laying, laying the groundwork here of how you know how Batman basically became that how that Batman from the Dark Multiverse came to be, who obviously is the in thing these days. Uh, then we then we kind of get you know we kind of get the the you know we kind of get the uh, a, a really brief recap actually of of Nightfall with Batman getting his bat his back broken, uh, John. Jean-Paul Valley uh, taking over is the role of Batman, and Fuganot points out, you know, that that eventually, you know, Batman, you know, learn, you know, he he returned from his he returned looking to fix his mistake and save his city from the usurper, and basically in our world he was successful, but not here as we basically see Asriel just like you know literally like impaling Batman with with the claws from his suit, and Asriel. Looks down at the, at the not at the rebroken Batman in a different way. Like I promised you, Bruce, you were you were right to pick me, and I am what Gotham needs, and I'll show you. And, and the, we get the little, you know, in the years that followed, Gotham pretty much underwent widespread change, and Azrael pretty much you know, a purging fire, which reminded me of uh, Liam Neeson, like Liam Neeson's line from you know Batman Begins there, about a purging fire is necessary. That. We cut to the crux of the story, which now is 30 years later, like in like Endgame, but 30 years later. <laughs> so basically, Gotham has been in control, in the grip, in the grasp, in total control of Azrael ever since 
Batman tried to succeed and challenge him and get it back, but failed. And we basically we have it, and so uh, at the Dumas home, which is now which was Wayne Manor, we basically find out that Azrael has his own. He has his own little support team there, so his his own, his own variation on a Batman family. We also know that in order to achieve what he's done and to keep it, basically Azrael has become hooked on Venom, much much like Bane. He's he's been hooked on Venom, and he pretty much. Uh, but every but every every year is it every no see the end of the third su- end of the third Sunday during the last summer month. <laughs> That basically Azrael goes back to this place at Wayne Tower, where we find, which is pretty disgusting actually, that basically since he beat Bruce Wayne, he has kept he kept Bruce Wayne captured there, and over the course of these years, every time he goes to have this meeting with Bruce Wayne to basically try to get Bruce Wayne to give him his approval, that he keeps torturing Bruce Wayne and basically keeps removing bits and pieces of Bruce and amputates bits and pieces of Bruce Wayne's body every time he comes to visit him. So basically Bruce Wayne is just like a head and a torso now and almost everything else is gone, just connected all by tubing, keeping him him alive. And uh, so this... So right there we kind of know that this guy is... Uh, this Jean-Paul Valley is... Uh, he's even more... <laughs> Even more off the deep end than we than the than the Asriel in our nightfall was, and they ha- and they had this conversation and Bat you know Bat- Bruce kind of says you know the Batman the city needs is the one strong enough to save it in the crisis. It's like you are weak, paranoid, doped up on more and more venom. Your grasp is slipping. When the next crisis comes, and I promise you it always comes, you will falter and you will fail. And Asriel just kind of like looks at him and he goes until next year, Bruce, and he walks away. We've it's a, we we see Azrael's little group there dealing with ex, some external threats, but we they're dealing with it's basically just a diversionary tactic. Because what we find what we find out is that the the real the real threat the real threat is as we find out soon is Bane's son, uh, Bane who who goes to and he goes to rescue. Bruce Wayne, he goes to rescue Bruce Wayne, and he goes, and he mentions, and he, when he says, oh, did I fail to mention who my father was, because at this point there's been no formal introduction, basically we see, we see uh, Bane's son just amp up on Venom naturally, because thanks to all the crap that uh, Bane put into his system all those years, basically it affected his DNA, so Venom is just naturally in, in his son, uh, and he, he kind of says, you know, the son of Bane and the one true Batman teaming up to save Gotham. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? And Bruce is like, I'm barely ahead in the torso. I'm not saving anything. It's like, don't worry. We've got, you know, we've got a plan for that. Uh, so the the plan to overthrow Azrael starts go, going going into going into effect. We see, uh, you know, Bane's son takes. Takes Batman uh, under the under the city, and then that's where we find Shiva, who of course was the one who helped train Bruce and bring him back after he had his back broken. So that's one of the one of their ties. And basically, she she'd been she'd been working with Bane Bane's son, and they have basically they also have come, they've come come up with some this this technology that basically lets Bruce Wayne more or less create a 
like a virtual body that Bruce Wayne basically becomes a can become a virtual body again. Uh, uh, Asriel's kind of haunted. He's having still having his delusions. Basically, Saint Dumas is is uh is taunting him about everything, still calling him a failure and everything else, despite every, everything he's done. And his he's getting he's getting desperate because his supply of venom is 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 running out. And then then it gets then it gets stolen. And so he he's pretty desperate. He gets he gets conf- he gets confronted by uh, Bane and Shiva and this this version this version of, of Bruce Wayne uh, d- during this during this fight Bane is Bane is able to uh, get a, get the upper hand. Or, I mean, uh, excuse me, Asriel is able to get the upper hand on Bane's son. This is pretty sick too. He rips off one of his arms and basically just uh, sucks the venom out of his arm to basically to rejuven- rejuvenate himself. And Bane's son is pretty much is pretty much down for the count for the most part in this. For the major for the majority of the fight, it's a lot of this is between Batman and Azrael. But at the end, appropriately enough, uh, Azrael gets stabbed through the chest with, with like one of his own gauntlets and then the one the one armed uh, Bane son there cracks Asriel's back and at this moment you know the, the, they feel you know victorious it's all great you know they feel they're feeling pretty good uh, it's like that's what we've been saying this this that's the point of all this we can, if we reconnect Gotham we can heal and Bruce says you know it's too late for that it's like you came, you came here tonight to try to save the world, to reconnect Gotham, and to use her and her people to heal a wound. But the truth is, some wounds don't heal. What's broken cannot always be fixed. Sometimes it must be made new, and it must take care of itself. What's good for the world is not what's good for Gotham. And Bruce, in one fell swoop, kills Shiva and Bane's son. And Bruce is like, for 30 years you forced me to watch you as you perverted my life's work, my name. But you weren't wrong before, Jean-Paul. You did keep this city standing. You started her down her new path. And the truth is, my biggest mistake wasn't choosing you. My biggest mistake was the same as yours, relying on anyone but myself. And now, thankfully, I'll never have to do that again. Gotham is mine, and I am hers. So you see Batman reclaiming Gotham. And and by doing so, you see him, you know, with a, with a makeshift bat symbol holding up the the broken Azrael all tied, and everybody knows that now Batman is back, <laughs> and it's not for the it's not going to be pretty. Um, I, I, there are times in this one. So first of all, I should say I'm not familiar, nor have I ever actually read Nightfall. Um, now Nightfall is a huge story. And as such, what I know about it is just from its importance. I know, I know, I know from it through through secondhand sources. I know of it because of the things that it it you know uh, in pop culture that have referenced it. You know, you have your um, the the uh, Dark Knight Returns obviously takes a lot from Nightfall, that sort of thing. So there there have been lots of pop culture references or other Batman stories that have referenced Nightfall. Uh, so I know through I know of it through word of mouth and, and through the things that have emulated it. Um, that being said, never actually read Nightfall myself. Uh, so what parallels it has? What if this makes sense or not? Uh, you know that's completely up to people who have actually read this. M- one of my problems storytelling wise with this one is how Bruce gets this power 
at the end. He explains it a little later. He says, these nanobats, they give me flight and reach I never had before. They absorb the genetic profile of everyone they touch. So it's not really killing, is it, as you can all live on through me. So they're nano. They're, it's nanotech, essentially, but they're nanobats instead of nanobots, whatever. Um, I just thought it was weird. I, you know, uh, they didn't really explain it much. And, you know, uh, nanotech is sort of like the, the, in, in the sixties, how everything was explained through radiation. Uh, <laughs> uh but, uh, that's, that's the, that was my storytelling problem with this. I do like the dark nature of all this, uh, and just sort of the, the storytelling sheet, Lady Shiva and, and all this stuff. That was cool, but it's because I like the context that that maybe uh, lessened some things for me. Art-wise, I like the art, but there were times I was reading it and I was like, oh, this sucks. And then I turned the page and I was like, oh, you know what? Given the context of what's happening, this looks actually kind of cool here, here, and here. So there were times I, I went back and forth on the art. Uh, and the uh, and the other thing I would say is if you're looking for a dark Batman and Azrael story, and you like something like this. Go read Curse of the White Knight, uh, which is uh, um, Sean Gordon Murphy's uh, second part, I believe. I think he wants to do or is doing a sort of trilogy of Batman stories. Uh, so if the Curse of the White Knight, which is coming out right now, is a is an Asriel story. Uh, it's a big Asriel Batman story. So if you're looking for something like this in a in a dark sort of uh, oh shit, Jean Paul's going off the deep end sort of a thing. Yeah. Go, go find that right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I had about this one just because I lacked the context of the original Nightfall. I think the artwork is so so in this one too. Uh, it might, because the book is literally so dark at, at times that I think it might hide, make up for some of the sins, you will, of, of this. Uh, I kind of, I mean, I kind of like the design of Azrael, you know, the Saint Batman in this, which is obviously is a is a very is a variation of uh, or a evolution, if you will, of the Batman of the Azrael Batman suit. Uh, the, obviously, the red suit, not the not the black. I mean, the blue suit. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's I I get I see in a way this. This one is probably not as far. This probably is one of the least far-fetched ones, based on what we've seen. Just because there's, there's probably every reason to believe that you know Azrael would, you know, if Azrael had not basically been forced into a course correction by by Bruce, that he could very well have go, you know have gone down this road because he was becoming more and more uh, uneven. He was becoming more and more unbalanced during his time at uh, as. Batman, which is why right before, if I remember correctly, right before Batman actually f was f showed up to take him on, that that's when uh, Nightwing and I think Robin were, which were were dealing with him or fighting him because at this point something ha something had to be done. Mm -hmm. So it was, I I I thought that the best parts of this book were the I, for better or for worse were the reflection, and I mean for, objectively whether you agree with it. As a reader, whether you think it makes sense, I. But to me, I thought the most interesting thing, maybe that's the better way of putting it, is the is the way is the way basically over all the time, over the 30 years that Bruce has been here in 
captured and tortured and basically the lessons that he learned and the th- and, you know what he learned what he has taken away from all mm. this and and I thought that was you know I thought that was kind of interesting and not and not necessarily un un Bruce like either the idea which is very Bruce you know which is ultimately very Bruce like on some levels the idea that he should basically he just his biggest mistake was you know just he he had to do it all that he he really should have just done everything himself so basically trying to put it in context though I guess what he really meant that he would, that it would have, that I guess in the big picture it would have been better off not having someone like John Paul ready to be a successor. And, and and only 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 after Bruce was physically able to come back himself, that I say anything. I, I mean, it's kind of an I was kind of an odd point in the sense that he was trying to date, do it himself because he was trying to, but you know he was he was trying to he was trying to basically get the power back to do. It, but I guess maybe impl- maybe it's implying the fact that you know he gave away that power. He gave he gave Azrael the edge that he needed, you know, by letting him have that role and everything else and grow into it or be warped into thinking it was his, and that was a problem as opposed to, or, or maybe it was had deeper meaning going back to the night to the Nightfall storyline too. Even though if I, what I remember about you know Nightfall was just Bruce Bruce himself being run ragged, which is the reason why Bane was able to beat him so easily. So, but it was an interesting you know conclusion one way or the other. For sure. Um, yeah, so that's, 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 I I don't really have anything else to say about this one. Just, just because I like that context. Is there anything else you wanted to say about it? I, 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 I hate to sort of just jump immediately to the next one, but. Cause you don't, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think ultimately it was a pretty decent story. I mean, I think this was the. In a way, this was the easiest story to try to do because there really were only two. I mean, there's really only two ways you could have gone. I mean, I guess it's, it's simplifying it too much to say there's only two ways you could have gone with this. But logically, you, if you were going to do a variation on the outcome of Nightfall, you would either have to have Batman not beat Asriel to get the you know to get the title back, the mantle of the Bat back, or you would have had Bane basically never lose to Asriel. Mm. And basically, Bane be running, and we and probably since we've kind of had a sl- even though a very short-term variation of that running through issue after issue of Batman, maybe they didn't want to go through that. But those are the only to me those are the only two major variations that from a from pure interest that would have been worth telling in a in a, in a what if story. You know, what if Bane, you know, what if Bane had succeeded in in breaking Asriel and, and eliminating Asriel and and the Batman family as a threat after breaking Bruce. And what if, and what if, and this one, which was what if, after, after everything else plays out in Nightfall exactly the way it did, except that when Bruce comes back to get the mantle of the bat back, he loses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know how much you like Asriel, so seriously, go read that Curse of the White Knight, if you, if you haven't read it, uh, read an issue or two already. Um, so I, for, for, for anybody else out there listening for sure, but specific, specifically speaking to you, Mark, I know how much you like Asriel, specifically Jean Paul. So if, if you haven't read the curse of the white knight, you should read it. Um, and maybe you'll see why I love Sean Gordon Murphy so much. Um, uh, so last one we got is tales from the dark multiverse. Number one, teen Titans, the Judas contract. This one is Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom on the writers. Tom Rainey art. Hi-Fi is the colors. Uh, Tom Orzakowski uh, is the letters. Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson cover. 
Uh, I'll say right away, this is my least favorite art of all the ones we're covering tonight. Um, doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not to my per- personal style. We open up with Tempest Fugenot. We open up with him, you know, seeing all the positives uh, happening in the, uh, I guess, light multiverse. Uh, but then his eye is drawn to the dark multiverse, and we get things like a, a quick glimpse at Red Death, which is Batman stealing the Flash's speed, and uh, the Drowned, which is the female Batman killing uh, Aqua Woman, that sort of thing. But on this this Earth that we're looking at. The Titans uh, have a mission together, and uh, Wally retires and says he's going to go find out what real life is about. Uh, and then Robin starts saying the same thing. Uh, Dick starts making his announcement, but then he looks into the eyes of Tara. He sees something and decides, instead of just leaving to find out who he is, he's just going to become the leader of the team uh, in insofar as he's hanging up the tights, but he's taking more of a, a leadership role. Uh, so later on, he talks to Tara in her room, uh, and there's this really pivotal conversation that he has, has with her. And when he was talking earlier, he was talking about um, Robin will always be the back half of Batman, and as long as I wear the same costume I've worn since I was eight, I keep playing a role I'd uh, I, I keep playing a role I'd long ago outgrown. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's what he was saying before he decided to, you know, drop the tights and become the leader. But she's, uh, she's asking him, you know, he's checking in on her because he saw something in her eyes. Uh, like you understood, maybe you were having similar feelings. She misunderstands and he's like, I'm backing away. He's about, I'm about to leave. She apologizes and she says, uh, you know, I was curious. He's the Batman. Didn't, uh, didn't you think, uh, there's still heaps he could have taught you? So Dick says, Sure, but Batman can only teach you to be Batman. Does that make sense? He meant well, of course, but when you're at an age when you're trying to decide your own identity, I think even well-intentioned mentorship can limit your ability, and Tara finishes the thought, to craft your own destiny. Uh, and he says, exactly, you don't have to live in uh, Brian's shadow, Tara. And she's like, Brian, he's like, well, Geoforce, that's what you're thinking about, right? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. That's definitely who I'm thinking about. Then we cut to her in Deathstroke's base. Obviously, you know, she's there to you know, report back on her spying and stuff like that, because for those of you not aware of the Judas contract, Tara was a spy for Deathstroke for uh, against the Teen Titans, betrayed them, that whole thing, and and all of that. She uh, starts lashing out at, at Deathstroke. He slaps her for forgetting your place and not respecting your superior. So she's basically takes the fight outside and kills him. She uses the earth to rip him apart. Uh, she then goes in to talk to Wintergreen, talks him into uh, using uh, the leftover uh, stores or magic or, or serums or whatever that made Deathstroke who he was. Uh, she puts on all that. She collapses to the ground. Wintergreen thinks she's dead. She comes back. Uh, she attacks Titan's tower. She is now Gaia instead of Terra. Because as she says, uh, what does she say here? Uh, Tara, that's the name Slade gave me. Never really thought much of it. I was just part of the ruse, but I looked it up. To the Romans, Tara was the Earth goddess. Nowadays, though, when people use that word, they really just mean dirt. And that ain't me. I'm not Earth. I am the Earth. Say hello to Gaia. Uh, she uh, uh, goes up against Raven and Garth, then rips Titan's Tower apart. 
uh, throws a lot of it into the atmosphere. Uh, Donna dies, Cyborg dies, Starfire dies. Um, then she goes to uh, Dick's apartment, uh, starts to fight him. He uh, evades her for a little bit. Uh, and but right before she can, after she gets the earth around him, uh, and right before she can kill him, Wally comes back on the scene uh, and says, I made a call to the big guy. Uh, he gives uh, Wally gives Dick his uh, Robin suit back and tightens together. Robin and Wally West go up against Gaia. She ends up killing them uh, right before Superman can get there. Uh, he tries to take her up into the atmosphere. She becomes a she she takes a lot of steel and in and, and earth around her and essentially becomes a comet crashes down to Earth and destroys, I don't know if it's Metropolis or what, but destroys a city. It doesn't matter because it's like an, it's, it's like an asteroid hitting the Earth because Superman was taking her up into the stratosphere. Uh, so her crashing to Earth destroyed the whole city. She goes up against Superman. She lets him get the better of her for a little bit because, oh, that was a close one. Didn't think I'd be able to get it all together in time. Uh, get what? Oh, you know, just a few rocks. And she attacks him with a storm of kryptonite. As he's slowly dying, she starts uh, 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 destroying various parts of the planet, uh, Washington, London, Tokyo. She's doing all this by destabilizing the Earth's core. She's keeping the whole world together, but she's destabilizing the core. Um, this is when uh, Changeling shows up, you know, Beast Boy shows up. Uh, it's like, we, we cared for you, gave you your home, uh, I cared for you. She's like, I cared for you too, Garth, about as much as a god can care about an ant, then destroys him, then Superman finally breathes his last, and uh, this, another dark world where those few who survived the cataclysm live their lives in constant fear. They know too well what happens to those who attract the attention of their crazed god who treats this earth as her playground. I had not considered that sometimes the tragedies that extinguish bright flames can serve to prevent much greater tragedies. Perhaps for the world to live, Tara Markov had to die. A cruel lesson, but here, here is the proof, for this Earth belongs to Gaia now. And, and the end. So essentially the twist here is, is, is that for the sake of, you know, uh, for the sake of Tara and the thing he saw in her eyes, Dick decided to stay. And his his compassion for her and stuff like that is what changed things, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, a power move or someone slipping off the deep end or, or whatever. Now, obviously, Tara slips off the deep end, but in the compassion that, that Dick has for Tara in, in, in this story... He then has this one-on-one -on -one conversation with her, which inspires her to do what she does to Deathstroke. Damn compassion. So that was an interesting take. It wasn't like someone let their anger get the better of them or became too consumed with power, although there was some of that. It was sort of a different take on, on, the, on the descent into darkness, and the trigger was actually something that we would generally consider good. Yeah, I that that is true. Uh, it's also true she's a bad seed. So yeah. that was gonna, you know, no matter how we, no matter how we slice it, it, it you know, she was not she wasn't gonna get a good 
there wasn't going to be a happy ending because of the fact that she's a she's a bad seed. So it's just so while it continues the trend of these characters becoming omnipotent and, and wreaking havoc and being unstoppable, even if it's you know even though let's say the the bat Batman is obviously limited. He's he's limiting his scope to Gotham in the uh, in the Batman one shot and. But the reality is that there is that commonality. But the, but the diff, but the real the real twist is the fact that yes, instead of it isn't somebody you know it isn't somebody dying that changes things or somebody not coming back. It's somebody not dying at the right time or, or things that a moment a moment of kindness that just changes the chain of events after that, and then you end up with a, a worse result. Yeah. So the so the so the take. So the take or the twist, the setup for it was was more interesting. Just wasn't a story that really I don't care much about. Yeah, what do you think of the art? The art, I mean, I think if it kind of, to me it fits in a Titans kind of if it, I think it feels like a Titans book to a, to a certain extent because of the art style. I don't, you know, it's not necessarily the art, you know, that I, that I that appeals to me, but I think I think it's appropriate for the story, just like I thought the art for the Superman story, for the most part, was appropriate. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah so cause I think so. I because I've seen this sort of art before, and a lot of people seem to enjoy it. I I just when I when I saw that first page, I re, I just didn't like it uh, right away. Uh, and and be because I had that initial thought, it, it can't be because it's bad art. It just has to be personal preference because it was a gut feeling the minute I per- turned that first page. And it's not like I let my eyes wander and considered like the artistic lines and, and what the artist was trying to do. It's just like the minute I turned the page, I was like, don't like it. So uh, I, it's definitely a preference thing for me. I just, so I wanted to get, I wanted to get your opinion on it because uh, of that sort of gut reaction I had. No, I mean you're you're def, you're definitely not wrong. It's just my my you know my vibe my vibe was just the fact that like I said it seems to it seemed appropriate for a Titans like story that it that's what the artwork seemed, that's what it made me think of it so that's why while it's not my favorite style of art it seemed to fit better yeah uh, I think the Batman art kind of like stands out to me for as far as not liking it uh more so than that than this art because i don't necessarily know if you can justify that it fits with that story i know it maybe it fits for a dark a darker story but i don't necessarily see that as the best art entirely for in that you know batman nightfall story gotcha. all right um Although you know, I would I would consider this dark multiverse thing uh, a, a a a win overall. I thought it was a, a a good thing to do. So when they announced that this was happening, I was sort of half and half. I was like, yay, Elseworlds stories, but also uh, more dark multiverse stuff because we've been dealing with it a lot since Metal. I mean, there's been a lot of you know uh, you know the Batman Who Laughs miniseries and all these other things happening. Uh, there's been a lot of focus post-metal uh, on this dark multiverse. Uh, still ongoing in Justice League, and Justice League Dark, and Justice League Odyssey, and the ramifications of all of that. So in, on one side, I was feeling sort of almost event fatigue, uh, and on the other, I was like, yay, Elseworlds. And I think uh, now that we've read all of them, 
I think I've come out on the positive side of that. Again, didn't like the uh, Infinite Crisis one. But otherwise, just by and large, on average, I thought this this experiment here was largely successful. I would agree. I, w- I would say they were all, at least to a certain to a certain level, they were all successful as far as making the stories interesting that they were trying to tell. I, w- I mean, I certainly wouldn't. Let's put it this way. I wouldn't be against getting more mm-hmm. of these. Uh, so I think that – so I certainly think that the plus. And while, yes, I think they are, like, milking the dark multiverse to death, I think that because these are one-shots, even though, again, the pro- here's here's the problem with the whole one-shot thing where they pretty much have guaranteed – they pretty much have told us that these – that. These, we're going to see these characters yeah. again. They have pretty much, you know, they pretty much. They did not say we're seeing every one of these characters again, but the odds are, yes, we're going to see every one of these characters again. Just maybe not necessarily all at one time or in the same story. But we're, so that includes, you know, the half dead, half alive Sinestro who screwed up twice. Mm-hmm. Typical Sinestro. Uh, so we're going to, and and looking at the list of these five of these five characters that we'd like to that of seeing again. Uh, I guess Sinestro, just because it's Sinestro, I would be interested in seeing, I would be interested in seeing the Lois Lane eradicate. Yeah, Lois is actually the only one I'd be interested in seeing. I, I honestly don't really care too much for the, for the Sinestro one. I, I, was it fine? Sure. But, uh, it, it, it is a weak version yeah. of Sinestro, no matter how you slice it. It is a, not, it, I would probably say Lois first, Sinestro second, Batman third. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who I'd pick out of the, uh, between Blue Beetle and Terra because I don't care much about either I'd one. I'd say Terra than Blue Beetle for me. I probably I was gonna say I probably would pick Terra just because she's so blatantly bad that you'd like to see her get her ass yeah. kicked. That I think that's so that's probably so seeing her again to get her comeuppance would be worth it worth more for blue beetle so i would i think that would be i would agree with that blue beetle blue beetles are one of the five you know protagonists here that i would care less i would care the least about seeing again so. yeah even just dark multiverse in general like you know everybody knows i collect pops now but like um so they've they've been making like all of the 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 Dark Knights the the prime Dark Knights metal characters uh, from the Dark Multiverse into pop figures. So you have Batman who laughs, you have the Dawnbreaker, you have uh, the merciless Batman. You're going to have the uh, uh, the Machine uh, or, or whatever. You have Red Death. All I have ever really cared about are Dawnbreaker and Red Death. I think Red Death is my favorite, actually. And Dawnbreaker I sort of have just to have a Green Lantern Batman. I think there's some cool aspects to the Dawnbreaker story. But story and design-wise, my favorite is Red Death. So, I mean, those are the those are the only two I really pay attention to. So unless those two really appear in other comics... I, I could I could take or leave some uh, ongoing uh, Dark Knights metal stuff. I I would agree. Yeah. I think and I and I do think we need a break. I think we need to kind of need a break from. Uh, I I guess I can equate that to how some people obviously felt with the emotional spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, of people getting sick of oh, it's not necessarily that we don't like it or it's not interesting, but okay, we we're kind of in, we're kind of getting it nonstop. Year, you know, story after story, year after year, is like, so now, maybe people, 
some people anyway, can appreciate it more if we do get something tied to the spectrum again because we haven't had anything really to deal with the spectrum since uh and that was and that was mostly dealing with the last I think the last major thing we dealt with that was when Sinestro Core and Green Lanterns broke up. Um so yeah, I I I think that's how a lot some people I'm not gonna say a lot, but I think some people certainly are feeling that way about the dark multiverse. It's like it's just constant, especially it's always the Batman who laughs, and it's you know it's just constant. Mm-hmm. So, because right, isn't that the big thing? The Batman who la- who laughs versus what Apex Lex or whatever the hell they're yeah. calling it. Isn't that isn't that the big thing right now of a story that I haven't read anything of really? Uh, so I think it's like yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a character that we could get a, that definitely we could get a break with <laughs> or break break from. All right. If people want to reach out to us, how can they do that? Lanterncast at gmail.com and lanterncast.com is the website. Uh, we are on Twitter and on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on those. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review. And as Chad will probably say, if you can switch over to Spotify, switch over to. Now he won't say that. I just did. But what we're, but translating that, if you could switch over to Spotify, that's probably what Chad wants you to do. So make Chad happy. Uh, last but not least, uh, leave us a voicemail. The voicemail is 708-Lantern. 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. Right. Uh, next episode is the wrap-up to Black Stars. Uh, and then after that, do we want to say we're doing Legacy, or we want to just – we will get to that. It just—you uh, probably should have said, "Do we want to say uh, what we're going to do next?" Uh, no, I mean, we, guys, we will be doing the Green Lantern Legacy graphic novel, the, the the kids graphic novel that came out. It's just, will it be after Black Stars? Probably not. Maybe uh, it's possible. It just depends on, you know, our availability scheduling yes. when we're able to fully read it. That sort of thing. Uh, there's no harm in telling people we will be covering. No, I know, yeah. but I know. Uh, it, so yes, we do not know if that will be the the episode, the the next proper episode after the Black Stars, but it it probably will be done in the next month, I would say. I know Jim and I are, and actually Jim was the one kicking, surprisingly, kicking the wheels, uh, kicking the tires about do, finishing off uh, our Spectre and Space arc in pre-birth. So I think the original goal for that was to get that done, but but somewhere before the end of the first quarter. So we would probably be on target for that if we can record sometime in February, maybe beginning of March at the absolute latest to do a to do a pre-birth. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know. So I for my job, guys, uh, I will be uh, in Dallas for uh, like the uh, I don't know the 13th through the 18th or whatever of February. So we might kind of uh, record, stack some episodes to help cover while I'll be out of town. And also, I'll be going to Emerald City Comic Con, of course, uh, March 12th through the 15th. So there might be some weird scheduling stuff here or scheduling things in advance. So if some Green Lantern-related news comes out or some things sound like we're a little dated in terms of what the what the things and the news we're talking about, like, you know, if a new Star Wars sort of thing releases or, or whatever, and you're like, well, that was like two weeks ago or, or whatever, uh, that's what's happening. There's just some some scheduling stuff that we have to work around in the months of February and March. So, And potentially, if need be, we can always work around it with like mini-episodes or just mini 
just, you know, like, almost like audio blogs if need be, just to get something out, if, just so, if it's impossible to put together a full episode, there's things we can do to work around it. For sure. Yep. So we'll be here. We'll be here. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.